Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Outcast Catholic. I'm your host, Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. We're so excited to be here. We're so thankful for everybody's support, listening. Just keep hearing more and more that more people are checking us out and sending it to their friends and learning what podcasts are. Mm -hmm. I've had to answer that for a lot of people. Sure. (laughs) Pre-recorded radio show is what I usually say. Right. Um, But it's been good. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode. Uh, We're happy to be here. We're happy to talk about stuff that's pertinent to... Gosh, the Midwest Church, those feeling outcast, and everybody in between. So mm-hmm. good to be here. It's great to be with you, Father. Um, as these weeks go on in your kind of new priesthood, yeah, uh, your newly minted priesthood, how are things going? What's going on in ministry? I just had my first quinceanera the oh, other day. Yeah, that's a big step. So it Congratulations. Is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I didn't actually celebrate my quinceanera. Of course, because you're not a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> Turns out I'm not. <laughs> Although I have a moped and drive one like a 15-year-old girl, right. not a 15-year-old girl. Um, so quinceanera, if anybody doesn't know, is uh, what commonly Mexican uh, Catholics, especially Mexican-American Catholics, celebrate for a 15-year-old girl's uh, birthday. Quince mm-hmm. uh, means 15, so this quinceanera is like the celebration of that. And it's beautiful. It It's often, it looks similar to a wedding where she has a special blessing at a special mass at the church. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful that it's intimately tied in with the sacramental life of the church uh, and the Eucharist. So it, it's great. She sits in the front, very much like a wedding with her own chair and a kneeler right there. And then at the end of mass uh, gets a blessing, but this is my first one. Mm-hmm. And um, while I have a good accent in Spanish, I don't speak Spanish super well. Okay. Um, what happened? Not, people always <laughs> ask, people always ask, uh, Oh, you must be fluent. No. Um, well, I forgot to check if we had the book. There's a book with a special blessing for Quinceanera. Um, so I was running around and coming back from some fraternity time with some other priests and stuff. So uh, I got to the church, and apparently the doors were locked when they should have been open for decorating. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. But there's all these extra traditions that they don't have in a book anywhere. So you got to take mer- you got to take flowers to the the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. Right. Beautiful. And then one of your padrinos is going to give you a little tiara. Great. That's awesome. And then there's all these sorts of gifts that the priest needs to bless. There's a ring, there's a Bible, there's a rosary, all this stuff, right? Right. I don't know when that stuff happens. I just know I have to do this little blessing after communion. So the mass is going well. I preach a little Spanish homily. I give a little blessing at the right time. But then I kind of walked down. I said, go in peace. Thanks be to God. And I walked down and genuflected. And then Everybody started bringing all these gifts. So I thought, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Bless all these gifts. And then <laughs> the girl just started walking off to the side. So I thought, okay, great. We should clap. So I started clapping, and everybody awkwardly clapped with me. And then I realized I was applauding as she was taking the flowers to Mary. So then I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I stopped, but right. I saved it with praying the Hail Mary in Spanish. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. So glad you I, saved that. I did. I saved it, and then we and then we 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 ended it, and it was fine. But um, yeah, just humiliating stuff happens all the time when you're working with uh, a language that's not your own. So thank you to the kind Latino community of Lamar's because you're far too patient with me. Uh, but that's that's been good. So I'm excited for the next one because this is my first one. Got it out of the way. 
Well, and I think all of us as priests, we have these moments, whether you're entering into a different ethnic or cultural background, right. or whether you're just doing something new for the first time. I mean, yes. whether that's prison ministry or a nursing home mass or whatever, you step into these new things and, and you don't, I mean, there's no rule book, there's no playbook for how to, to uh, you know, adapt to all these things in whatever environment you're in. And the beauty of that is sometimes you get to see uh, these expressions of faith for the first time. Yes, yeah. And you get to appreciate kind of what's going on as this 15-year-old is asking the intercession of the Blessed Mother, mm-hmm. you know, please pray for me as I seek Jesus in these difficult or really uh, important teenage years of development as I approach adulthood. Uh, you know, seeing these things for the first time can give you a really fresh insight right. into the beauty of our faith and, and some of these cultural traditions. It was neat. It was really beautiful, too. It was on the memorial of the holy name of Mary, mm. right? Which is cool. So I was kind of preaching like Mary's name was holy because she responded to God in faithfulness, but it was holy because God spoke her name. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, God speaks all of our names and he calls us by name. So then I was talking to the, the quince mm-hmm. whose, whose birthday it was. But then the beautiful thing was I had, didn't have the time before mass to even read through this blessing prayer. But then once I read, when I blessed it, that's basically what the blessing prayer was. Sure. Um, it was great. It was like, God has called you by name on your birthday and wants to bless you. So beautiful moment of providence. Maybe you should write feeling. prayers for the Vatican from now on. Wow. Because oh you gosh. clearly just can call it out. Basically, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You I've anticipated given the Holy that See. Charism, I think. Yeah. To wow. write liturgical books. Yeah, actually, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that wouldn't be that fun. Yeah. Tough job. You can take it. Great. Tough job. Um, tough job. Yeah. I, but getting into the parish life, um, I have just noticed it's been very unique for me. Uh, the class of 2020, mm-hmm. you know, global pandemic priests. Right. Um, pandemic priests, I'll be known. Rest of my life, but PP. it has been interesting that like week after week, the more I have been um, getting used to mass, the more masses I celebrate. Those have basically followed how the dioceses have been opening up for public masses. So mm-hmm. I was ordained when it was still kind of the end of the shutdown time. Mm-hmm. So then each week has been more and more people, and we kind of keep track of the number of communions that we have. So we know kind of how many people are coming and the pew size space that we need and things like that. Um, so it's been very interesting for me just to see folks coming back to mass, folks not coming back to mass, kind of still doing the online thing. Um, and yeah, just very interesting. What what has your experience been of of that of of kind of coming back to mass after this time? Sure. Well, as you know, I'm a vocation director and a high school chaplain, so I don't have my own parish. <laughs> sure. But I do get around, and I've seen a different, a couple of different places. It's been interesting to see, you know, certain parish communities across our diocese, people have been jumping back into Mass quite a bit. Others, for a variety of demographic reasons, um, you know, might be a little more hesitant. Right. Um, and I've just been having a number of conversations with some people. Uh, one conversation comes to mind... Um, Recently, I was I was talking to a group of gentlemen about uh, their their need and their desire for the Eucharist. How difficult it's been to kind of walk with the church in that decision to shut down masses. Right. Uh, many felt deprived of the Eucharist. You know, how do I handle that? How do I get back into a, a Eucharistic rhythm again? Sure. Uh, where do I really see my identity in relationship to the Eucharist? And one of the things that we were talking about, you know, were the Japanese Christians, right? Oh, yeah. So in the middle of the 16th century, you get Francis Xavier, a number of Portuguese, Spanish, and Italian missionaries coming mm-hmm. into Italy because of the trading industry of the Renaissance period. Right. And Christianity was, is coming with them. They right. want to bring the gospel to all corners of the globe. 
to preach all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Matthew's Gospel concludes with. And you see, you know, Christianity starting to take root. Right. There's some sparks that are are uh, are coming about, and then, of course, as we know throughout history, the persecution comes. Right. Right. So many of those missionaries are either kicked out of Japan uh, and the surrounding islands, or they're just martyred. Mm-hmm. You know. And what was so interesting uh, in that culture is that there were pockets of Christian faith that still survived. Yes. Um, there were faithful Catholics who were baptizing their children, mm-hmm. and they were, um, without, the, without the assistance of clergy, because right. there, there was no clergy, uh, there were no missionaries and there was no native clergy. Even though the church was kind of underground, they kept it going by baptizing their children. Catechizing the faith, right? Yeah, passing it, the deposit of faith down to the next generation. And praying, and yeah, teaching them how to have a relationship with Jesus. Right. right. Go figure, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, the domestic church right at work, right? Right. 250 years later, you know, almost 300 years later, when you get uh, new missionaries coming in in the 19th century, what do they find? They find some healthy Catholic communities right. who have held on to the faith and at least kind of that initial initiation sacrament. Um, and in that, it, it almost looked miraculous mm-hmm. that the faith had been sustained for that long. I, I know it's not. I mean, exactly historically accurate, but the movie Silence, is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Right? Mm-hmm. Did you guys right. see that one? I have not seen it. Oh, I'm really? Kicking. I wanted to see it when it was out in the theaters, and then when I tried to go see it, it was pulled, and I still haven't sat down to oh, watch shoot. it. Yeah, I got to see it when it was in the theaters, and St. Louis went with a few guys. And, you know, there's a lot of just, there's a lot of different ideas of how, how kind of like that story was interpreted and written through the book and then through, mm-hmm. the, through the screenplay that was created. But this, the scene that's so powerful for me now as a priest and then as a seminarian is some of these missionaries who are fictional characters in the movie, but who kind of represent these uh, the, these these priests? Um, they in the 19th century, they walk into this village, and it's the first priest that these people have ever seen. Mm-hmm. But this is a village where it's trying to picture where Christianity has been alive for these hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and a hundred years or so, hundreds of years, yeah, hundreds, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's beautiful. It it has the image, or it it shows you the image of mass being offered in a house. Mm. the first time in these people's lives mm-hmm. ever. And to watch the devotion, I mean, I was so moved by that in the mm-hmm. theater. Um, and then just showing the struggle that these priests lived with. But they were built up by the faith of the people that they encountered when they got there. Of course, yeah. as we often are. Right. You know, the, the shepherd nurtures the flock and leads the flock, and yet so often the vibrancy of the flock right. gives so much back to the life of the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um well, anyways, you know, I was having this conversation with a group of men, and we were talking about some of these uh, Japanese witnesses to the faith. And I think what it underscores is even in the midst of a time in which we might have felt deprived of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. uh, depraved, deprived. Not any, having the Eucharist. Not having the <laughs> Eucharist. Um, in the midst of not having it, um, how can the faith still uh, you know, remain fruitful. Right. How can that relationship with Jesus keep going? Right. Uh, obviously, we know that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our whole liturgical life. We know that every time you go to witness the sacrifice of the Mass, there's a miracle that unfolds right. in which cheap bread and wine, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of the consecration, is becoming this cosmic event. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ is present on the altar, being offered up to the Father for the intentions and the nourishment of this local community. Right. I mean, th- that is such a grandiose experience, it, it really defies words. Right. 
And yet, even in there's in there when there's situations beyond our control, and this pandemic, and maybe the de- the decisions of people above us is completely out of our control. Right. Where does the faith continue to bear fruit? Mm-hmm. Where does the relationship with Jesus continue to speak? Right. Yeah. It it seems so clear that we were all priests, seminarians, lay people alike, just kind of shook out of our. Uh, routine mm-hmm. when we were unable to go to mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, praise God, priests were able to keep celebrating the sacraments and offering the holy sacrifice of the mass for all the intentions yeah. and that that reality. But so many of us were unable to receive the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament in Holy Communion, mm-hmm. um, and it shook. I think it shook all of us to realize, like, oh wait, I don't know if I knew what I had in the first place. Mm. Um, oh wait, <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily know how to pray without being at church, kind of like in the liturgical life mm-hmm. of the church. And that, that goes to show a couple of good things, I think, that, yeah, the, the Eucharist is a source and summit, and that's the place, that's the, the best prayer we can ever offer. Right. But um, it also challenged us to show, wait, how, how deep is my relationship with Jesus and how deep is my faith in conjunction with the reception of communion and the celebration of the mass, mm-hmm. or do I just kind of show up? Uh, well, you you got to say the the Chesterton quote you were telling me earlier. Oh yeah, well Chesterton has this beautiful phrase. For those of you who don't know, I'm a pretty big Chesterton yeah. fan. If you're going to be a regular subscriber to this podcast, you're going to get used to Chesterton. Yeah, sometime right? we'll have to talk about some Father Brown stories because yeah. I read a bunch of those. We can dive into a, a Chesterton episode or two. Yes, Chesterton has this wonderful example or th- this witty phrase. As all of his phrases are witty, as he spins words so carefully and. And uh, very comically, he says, just going to Mass doesn't necessarily make you a better Christian or a more holy person. Just as much as if you were to step into the garage, you don't necessarily just become a car. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, it's just putting yourself in the environment doesn't work magic. Right. Um, Now, to be fair, there are plenty of very devout, holy people out there who truly felt... Uh, separated from Christ because their their souls were being used to that physical nourishment of the Holy Sacrament. Right, and um, for all of you out there who experience that that depravity and uh, really that heavy cross of being separated from the Most Holy Eucharist, I hope you related that to the Lord. I hope you offered that up for persecuted Christians around the world who are often separate from the Eucharist. Maybe offering that up for those. Who get the Eucharist, but who for take it? Who take it for granted? Right. Maybe offering up that suffering for souls in purgatory. Uh, there were so many faithful people who really um, were missing the rhythm of liturgy, which has helped form and shape their whole identity. Right. But to your point, there were many others who um, may, maybe have realized maybe my liturgical habits, mm-hmm. though fulfilling physically the Sunday obligation, sure though receiving physically Jesus, maybe lacked some roots, mm-hmm. maybe lacked a little depth on what that gift of liturgical worship, public worship, and a rhythm of worship was doing for them, and uh, maybe lacking some roots as to what the reception of Holy Communion actually meant and was doing actively in their right. lives. Yeah, I don't think anybody loved live stream masses. Right. But I'll uh, shout out to my parents. They told me, and some other people have told me, it just like totally gave you a reality check of like, oh wait, we have to be intentional about this. Mm-hmm. So my parents, they they found this. I mean, they're pretty strong in their faith, but they found this new kind of like, 
revitalization of their faith of like, we have to be intentional to like set up our home uh, like a place of worship. And they would even like put on Sunday clothes and they'd put chairs in front of the TV and they'd watch uh, Bishop de Groot in Sioux Falls mm. uh, having the, the cathedral mass. Mm-hmm. And they, it was beautiful because they were able to actually like intentionally pray together. Whereas it's very easy to just sort of roll into the parish um, maybe last minute or whatever, kind of whenever you get there and just kind of like hang out, sit through, hope that's a nice entertaining homily. Right. And then just kind of take off, say hi to your friends, slap hands and then take off. Right. Get, um, grab a donut. Grab a donut if yeah. they had them. That'd be great. Sunday donuts. Yeah. So, but I think it helped them just realize, wait, I really have to take my desire to pray, uh, and, and join that to a little bit more of an in, intentional experience of prayer. Mm-hmm. And then other families with young kids especially, they realize too, oh, we have to foster the domestic church. Mm-hmm. That's always been the call and that's always been the desire, but it's easy just to kind of, well, well, we'll save that for CCD or faith formation. Um, and we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, it's hard with a lot of kids sometimes. We'll wrap them all up, bundle them all up, throw them in the van, get to church and try to just get through the mass. Right. But then they're having this, uh, you know, set up a kind of home altar and candles and trying to teach their children how to pray outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was great that it just kind of cued everybody into, wait, how have we been, you know, utilizing this? But for all of us, I think there was still this great (laughs) angst that we're far from the sacrament. Right. We're not in church. Um, and the thing is, where I'm, where my mind's at, my heart's at right now as a brand new priest, you know, we're still experiencing all this anxiety and this angst as we still don't know what the heck's happening with this global pandemic. Mm-hmm. We still don't know what's going on. And as different decisions are made and as different guidelines are made and as school starts now, all the discussions that come with that, my big thing that I keep seeing is, hey, everybody, the church is open. Mm-hmm. The, the sacraments are available. Right. And we have been celebrating the Eucharist now with people for so long. Right. But I continue to run into folks who, for many different reasons, have yet to return to Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just been frustrating a little bit because I would love for everybody, myself included, to be able to relate these struggles that we're all experiencing with this pandemic to the Lord at Mass and to receive Him in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Now that He's so radically available for us mm-hmm. um, to really receive Him as he is. Right. And there are some people out there, you know, family members going through cancer treatments or whatever, you know, that going out of the house, putting themselves in any sort of public situation uh, for some is, is a grave source of anxiety. Right. Uh, I've seen some others, particularly like, you know, those with young children, they're getting creative, you know, if they don't feel like they can take their, their infants out into a public setting. Well, the parents are rotating the babysitting duties at home Right. And the adults are still getting to mass so that they themselves are being nurtured as much as possible. Sure. Um, so there is some creativity being, being, you know, going on right now. Right. Uh, and you hope that people start to realize in being separated from the Eucharist for so long, the freshness and the openness that I now, uh, reproach, you know, the Holy altar, right. Uh, the reverence and maybe the renewed sacredness of this act of being nurtured by Christ himself in the miraculous Eucharist. Hopefully that brings kind of a a spiritual renewal, not only for individuals, but for the life of the parish. And, um, you know, just to do a shout out for my brother priests, I don't know how people quite realize what it does to a priest's heart 
to have the whole community there and to yeah. like being able to literally give your people the bread of life. Right. And when they're not there, uh, when there's maybe division um, or for whatever reason that the community isn't fully present, the church right. isn't fully alive, gathered around the altar of sacrifice, right. um, the altar of blessing, uh, that weighs on a priest's heart very deeply. And I don't right. know that a lot of people realize that, what right. goes on in the interior life of the shepherd. Well, and I've experienced that in a new way as I've become a priest and as I'm learning and knowing my flock. It's been interesting because when you have a small town, you both get to experience the kind of beauty of the community of the town itself and of the parish. What's been weird for me, and this isn't calling anybody out, but I've met my parishioners outside of the church mm. at Walmart and at Fairway and at Hy-Vee and at the gas station at Casey's. These are all grocery stores and <laughs> yeah, you know, sorry, in Iowa. gas stations I in just Iowa. Named so. Exclusively <laughs> Iowa establishments. Um, shout out to Casey's Pizza, delicious slices of pizza there. But when I mean, yeah, I should have just said grocery stores, but anyways, uh, everybody's from Iowa is listening to this anyways. They're not. Shout out to everybody not from Iowa. But do come. We do have listeners in Argentina. They have reached out to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Bienvenidos. Um, Anyways, so uh, yeah, but but experiencing that, I'm meeting my parishioners, and they're excited to tell me that their their kids know me from the high school or from Mm -hmm. the grade school. But there's this there's this sadness that comes of, oh, why why aren't you coming to mass? Mm. Why aren't we celebrating the sacraments together? Like, I'm glad I can hang out with your kids at at the high school, but like. I wasn't ordained a priest to just hang out with like high school kids in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. That's a great apostolate of my priesthood. But like I was ordained a priest to celebrate the sacraments right. with the people of God. Right. And yeah. So when, when there's this, this kind of reality of like, I'm living my life basically like normal now with the kind of restrictions of the pandemic, yet I haven't gone back to mass. Mm-hmm. That's where the sadness comes True. for me. Um, and now believe me, I'd, I love to hear when people give, reasons because sometimes it's real like you just mentioned there's there's a sickness in the family Mm -hmm. or there's um a a real concern about about very young children or something like that Mm -hmm. but you know a few different times i've 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 heard the kind of excuses come and they just they just don't seem to be really substantial right um and it's and it's i think it's posed a challenge in that moment of and why haven't i come back yet Mm -hmm. um you know, a quick anecdote comes to mind because it was so beautiful. My first couple weeks of priesthood, I, I did just a little traveling, just a minimal kind of road trip that I could with the pandemic. Um, but I had a couple experiences of giving communion and celebrating the mass for folks who hadn't been back to mass for a long time. And so well, just one example, and God rest his soul, a, a man named John, I was able to go with his family to his home and um, a, a close family friend I was with, and we celebrated mass. And it was the first time he'd received communion since December mm. because he got sick and he was at home and then the pandemic hit. Right. And, you know, beautiful, his, his family just told me he just passed away, so God mm. rest his soul. That was the last mass he was able to go to. He was able to receive viaticum, communion before he died. Mm-hmm. That was the last mass. And to watch him and his wife receive the blessed sacrament together for the first time in months and months and months and months, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just incredible. It right. filled my heart with so much joy that I wish so many could experience as well. Oh, sure. That same return to kind of the, the sacraments. Well, I would just like to also do a plug for those who might be a little concerned about health. I really do feel like so many of our churches around the country are really uh, safe and healthy places. Yeah. You know, I don't know if people realize the amount of work that's going into, well, first of all, the percentage of people hand sanitizing. You know, hand sanitizing uh, and sanitizing every hard surface. Oh, yeah. Literally nowhere else 
is sanitizing every hard surface in between every single time that people come in. Right. No grocery store, no supermarket, no Walmart, nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of the amount of times the pews are sanitized each day after every mass throughout the weekends and weekdays, the amount of people hand sanitizing, the great care to wash all the vessels again. The fact that we're all facing the same direction at mass. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're sitting at a table breathing on someone across from you. Uh, I really do think our, our churches are safe and sanitary environments. And uh, hopefully that just encourages people all the more to uh, really take to heart that great relationship with Christ in the Eucharist right. and cherish that all the more poignantly. Absolutely. So just one last kind of encouragement. If you are uh, not back to Mass yet and you're Catholic, come on back. Or if your friends or family are not, come on back. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate uh, you joining us in this conversation. Although it might be hard, you know, we're here to look toward the Lord for his hope and his strength. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time and God bless.